and welcome to Mayhem Muses. I am Rachel Fuller, aka Rachel DCL. And I'm Emma Burrows. How's it going, Rachel? Going great. How's it going for you? Uh, pretty good. Just Jay chillin', you know. Emma, do you Yay. have a game for us? You know, I don't. Do you, Rachel? I do, but it's really kind of dumb, which, you know, that's sort of the point of these games, I guess, so maybe it's perfect. Okay, I'm so excited. Will you please explain <laughs> okay. it to me? Yeah, it's it's really easy. Um, I actually heard it, uh, I think today, while listening to My Brother, My Brother and Me, which is a really silly one that our friend Daniel told me about. Um, shout out to Daniel. But yeah, they <laughs> they just, did. okay, yeah, so here's how you play. I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to hit a part of my body, and you're going to guess what part of my body I'm hitting. And I'm not going to do so violently. Like, I'm not going to hurt myself. Okay, are you going to do it close enough to the mic that I can hear the thump? Yeah, I'll do it right next to it. Okay, well, I'll try. I'll try my best. Are we doing a certain number of rounds, or are you just going to slap yourself until I give up? I'm going to give you three guesses before I reveal what it is, and I'm, I think you can get it. I believe in you. And then okay. you can go after me if you like. Okie dokie, let's get slapping. Okay, here I go. Are you looking? I'm not looking. Okay. Okay, I like the little rat-a-tat. I like the three. I like the, uh... <laughs> The little triplet, and it sounds like there's some flesh in there. It sounds like <laughs> there's some skin. Hmm. Will you give me another little slap? Mm-hmm. Oh, 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 oh. Is that a wrist? It is not a wrist. <laughs> do you want another one? Another yeah, do go? I get do I get one more? Yeah, you only guessed one. You get two more guesses. I get two guesses. Okay. Do I get infinite slaps and three guesses? I don't know about infinite slaps because at that point I'm scared you'll abuse it, but I'll give you another slap if you want. Okay, please. I'm listening. (laughs) Will you give me another triplet? Sure, sure, sure. What on God's green earth is it your knee? Ooh, you're getting warmer. But no, it's not my knee. Okay. You were onto something when you said flesh. At least for me in this particular part of my body. Are you ready oh. for another three threesome? Give me another threesome. Ooh, a nice menage a trois on a Friday <laughs> afternoon. Mm, yes, yes. Uh, shoot. You said I was getting warmer. I'm gonna go with that was your calf muscle <gasps> how did you get it you were you were peeking was were i right peeking? yes yo i just i'm a massage therapist i know what it sounds like to slap certain body parts you still took three tries so ooh, boom roasted oh <laughs> you got me i'm gonna go eat dirt <laughs> no i'm very impressed that you got that at all that's quite incredible can i try for you i would love that Okay. Not looking. Okay. Is it... Does it have to be a slap or is it just a body noise? Ooh. I say body noise. I like the sound of that. Ooh. Okay. 
I don't know where I was really going with that. I'm just <laughs> trying to uh, you, level the playing you field. Like, yeah, you like all the doors that have been opened now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay, here's where we're going with this. Are you ready? Yeah. Hmm. Will you repeat the sound, please? Okay, now I'm definitely getting some slappy vibes. Can I confirm that that's what you're doing? Are you slapping something? I did end up going with the slap. Okay, just making sure that wasn't like a cool... I would be amazed if that was a sound that you made with your mouth or something. (laughs) Uh... You know, this is basic, but I'm going to go with a clap. Was it a clap? You were hitting your hand? It was not a clap. Okay. Can I hear the sound again? Yes. Ooh, that time it sounded almost hollow. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, was it your, was it your face? Somewhere on your face? It was somewhere on my face. Oh, your forehead? It was my forehead. So oh, yes, yes, hollow is accurate. <laughs> Sorry for that unintentional shade that I threw. No, that's so good. Wow. That was good. Wow, we're pretty good at this game. I'm impressed. We are. Look at us knowing bodies and noises. Yeah, it's because we're just so good with sound now that we're podcasters. That must be it. Exactly. Well, thank you for finding that game for us because I definitely (laughs) did not show up with one. Yeah, shout out to Mabim Bam. It was great timing because I just literally heard that game being played today and I thought, this is so stupid. I could see us playing this. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love my brother, my brother and me. And also, yes, shout out to Daniel Wilkes. I imagine that they're okay with us using their full name. Their artist name is Star Player. Yes. So check them out on Spotify and Apple Music and all that jazz. Yes, they create some great stuff. Yes. So today I want to talk about creating an isolation, but more specifically, I want to address the way in which when we're alone with ourselves and our thoughts, sometimes we actually lose contact with our own clarity. And Mm. this can make creativity impossible or, depending on who you are, abundant. And really, I think that that comes down to mental fortitude and you know, experiences. What have you been through? Where are you at? There are artists like Justin Vernon of Bon Iver, so we've talked about him. Tom York of Radiohead, who have spent time deliberately in isolation in order to write some of their most critically acclaimed music. But then there's us, the human race as an entity, who have been confined to the house by ourselves or alone with our families for just over a year now because of this pandemic. And some of us are going a little loopy and boo-boo nana and caca. (laughs) (laughs) That was definitely a Tyler the Creator reference. Uh, But if you're anything like me, your creativity may be a little bit less vibrant than before we were trapped in our own homes. Um. There's also this element of uh, depression. I feel like a lot of people are going through some depressive episodes. And today I want to share a bit about taking care of oneself in isolation in order to get back to a healthy mindset to help your creativity flow. I guess for starters, a lot of us know uh, 
probably, that isolation can be terrible for the psyche. Uh, that's why it is a form of punishment for some of the worst crimes imaginable, <laughs> which is, yeah, it's really messed up. I mean, it's called, actually, it's called the Pennsylvania system. It did originate at Eastern State Pen- Penitentiary. Oh my gosh. I feel right. like I remember learning that. When was this? Like, back in the... If I had done research, I would have the answer, but we're going <laughs> to probably get some hate mail and people are going to have to Google. Yeah. Go- yeah, we actually like to encourage educating yourselves, so we intentionally don't give you the right answer for that reason. Right, Emma? That's kind of our MO. That's exactly what it is, and I think it's it's really honest that you're sharing that with people and also kind of saves my ass. So yes, that's definitely the <laughs> truth. Okay, so... When we're in isolation, we're left alone with our thoughts and emotions with no one to mirror things back to us or to validate what's going on. And that's kind of a recipe for just kind of completely disconnecting from the world around you. Right. I'm not sure if you've heard, but most of the thoughts our brains are capable of conceiving are absolute bullshit. Oh, fun. (laughs) Yeah. I I believe it based on my own mind. Yeah, our brains are these like really amazing supercomputers that can completely betray us if we believe every single piece of information that mm. is output is true. Our thoughts and emotions. Ooh, what's that in my voice? It's a Sultry. little sexy flim. Our thoughts and emotions are super frequently wired together too, which means that maybe you have a bullshit thought and immediately have an emotional reaction. This is what people call reactivity, and it really does come from a thought. Your emotions in general are born from thoughts, so it can be really important to distance yourself from the thoughts. Which brings me to our little tool belt, and I have a little three-step practice from Tara Brock, who is an American psychologist and meditation teacher, and... She mentions this in her talk that can be found on YouTube about responding instead of reacting. So step one is please don't believe your thoughts. And that sounds probably really difficult to a lot of people. Yes, it does. I feel very targeted, actually, in this conversation. I am targeting you. But I love you. it. That's accurate. <laughs> no, it's good. This is good. This is my lesson. I need to learn this. Okay. So don't believe my thoughts. Yes, this is, this is, I also want to say this is something I stumbled upon recently because it's something that very much I'm dealing with as well. I think that it's very applicable for a lot of people. Yeah. So please don't believe your thoughts. How the f- am I supposed to go about doing that? How do I integrate that idea into my life? Well, there are a couple different things that you can do. Uh, The first one is probably the easier said than done one. This is every time you have a thought, especially a bullshit thought, you just simply respond, that's a thought. And that one can be really helpful. But also, if you are being overtaken by feelings, if you're like completely triggered, your fight or flight, sympathetic nervous system, everything is on fire... You're not going to be like, that's a thought. Okay, so basically you kind of have to isolate it. You have to, like, nip it in the bud, 
Like, if it's not already taking over, like you're saying, then you can acknowledge it as a thought. But if it has moved on to your actual body and you've embodied this thought, then you're saying it's too late. You're past the point of no return. Well, that actually, we're going to get to that in step two. But the second thing you can do is mantra meditation. So this would be just repeating a word. You could have any word, but usually you'd want it to be something maybe moving in the direction of peace. You could even say the word peace over and over again in your head. Mm. And that makes it so that your thoughts are... Your thoughts are really just being consumed by this one activity. You're focusing on one one word. Um, and then the last one, which I'm so intrigued to hear your feedback around, is imagine that your thoughts are being had by a child you're babysitting. So it's like, instead of identifying with your thoughts and being like, I am the haver of my thoughts, you're like, no, I am the space in which my thoughts arise. And you can kind of do this visualization of maybe it's your younger self or maybe it's uh, some rando child. But you're like, oh, this child is saying some bullshit. How would I speak nicely to a child to kind of maybe, like, diffuse things that they're saying that aren't really helpful, maybe. Mm. Yeah, because you're not going to go to them and say, like, yeah, for sure. I No, for sure I think there's a monster under your bed right now. Like, we should be freaking out. Why haven't you packed your bag already? <laughs> like, you're not going to start perpetuating that and make the snowball get bigger. You're for sure going to come to them with, like, you're going to validate, I think, but you're you're going to make sure that they feel and know that they're safe and then probably, like, distract or, yeah, I guess with what you're saying with the, the word, like, the mantra is, like, come up with something else that their attention can be on so that they're not going to spiral into <laughs> this, into being, into feeling, like, super worked up or terrified at whatever they're thought was or whatever seemed very real to them was at the time um I like that yeah it makes me think too of someone else I know who's a babysitter because I know that you have done quite a lot of babysitting and you were an au pair at one point um but I knew someone uh a while ago who told me that kids actually are very easy to console if you act confident in whatever you do so their example of this was uh, they were babysitting a, a little girl and she started crying. And so this person was like, do you want a wet paper towel? And so she went and she got a freaking wet paper towel and gave it to this little girl. And she stopped crying and she was like rubbing it on her face and she felt so much better. That seems actually like a very grounding thing to have that sort of like, I don't know, something as a sensory distraction almost. Um, I thought of something while you shared that story, and I think it's something I've already shared with you in the past, but I'll say it for the sake of this conversation. There was a time, it actually wasn't while I was babysitting, it was when I was working at a middle school here in Philadelphia, and one of the students that I worked with fairly regularly came into my office one day, and he was very concerned. He seemed super scared. And so I asked him, like, hey, buddy, what's wrong? Like, what's going on? And he held up this coin he had found. I think it was either, like, a nickel or a quarter. 
And he said, I was walking through the cemetery. The school was right by a cemetery, and a lot of kids had to walk through it to get to school. He said, I was walking through the cemetery, and I found this coin, but it was upside down near a grave. And I think that's bad luck. Like, I think that this is a really bad sign. And I don't know, like, do you know what it means? (laughs) And so my mind kind of went there. I was like, okay, I could feed into this thought process where basically I'm feeding into his fear and validating that there is something to be worried about, or because this clearly stems from maybe some sort of superstition, I could try to change it. And so I, I did. I just was like, actually, I've heard that that means that you get at least like 13 years of good luck from from what I remember, I think that's right. And, you know, just sort of changed the tone. And he was like, oh, okay. And after I talked to him for a little bit, he seemed to be on board with that story, (laughs) you know, so it just totally shifted the narrative. And he went from coming in feeling very bogged down by this newfound coin (laughs) to feeling like, oh, this is actually a good omen. This is a good sign. So um, anyway, that's just a little anecdote that I thought of while you were sharing yours. Yeah, I think that that's really lovely. And if we can respond kindly to our thoughts, the way that you're saying you had a moment to do with this kid, like, it just can really change things for the trajectory of your, of your mental processing. Um, You can get out of some of these mental loops, because so frequently, we have the same thoughts over and over and over, and maybe they look slightly different. But for the most part, they're the same thing that you thought five minutes ago. So the second one, like we're talking about um, wet paper towels and children crying. Uh, The second one is Be Here Now, which is also, I believe, a Ram Dass book. Um, Mm. But feel whatever is going on. Notice your body. Maybe if you don't have experience with meditation... You start with your hand. You just notice what it feels like to have energetic impulses flowing through your hand. And try to cover it with the awareness of sensation. And once you complete that step, try to include both hands and slowly integrate the rest of your body and see what it's like to be thinking with your body instead of thinking with your mind. This comes to mind for me as well. Uh, Thinking with your body, on thinking with your body instead of thinking with your mind, I have heard, I don't remember where I heard it, it was probably a couple years ago when I had just started even becoming aware of meditation. And I heard that if you're having trouble sitting still, like you get an itch somewhere. You can say mentally, my body is thinking. Like you get an itch on your leg maybe and you say, it's on your knee and you're like, my knee is thinking. And actually, this doesn't happen all the time, but if you can really focus on that idea of your body is thinking and there are little little sensors basically that are just kind of firing, sometimes it just goes away on its own. And this is also a common thing with meditation. People will, teachers will usually say, turn your attention on your thoughts, you know, notice that you're having a thought and then come back non-judgmentally to the present. 
But I've also heard like um what's his name? Sam Sam Wise Harris. Kiki. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Sam Harris of the Waking Up podcast and app, I believe. Uh he uh he has a few meditations on the app where he talks about like basically looking at your thought. Like you have some thought and you just look at it. You just bring your attention to it and then you come back like it's a car driving down the street mm. and it disappears. It drives away. That seems very counterintuitive for a lot of us. I think a lot of us think that we get so in our heads about not thinking that the second we slip up, quote unquote slip up, which we're bound to because we're human and thoughts come and go, we then get on this this whole, basically we just devolve into like, thinking that that's bad and we sh- and why do we keep having thoughts but then that's a thought oh my gosh stop thinking like we try to suppress and i think that what you're saying is exactly key we have to acknowledge and move on and just like it's just like a wave you know like it just keeps going and that's fine your thoughts will keep coming and they'll keep going and that's part of the process but the key is not to pretend like we're some superhumans that don't have any thoughts at all cuz that would just be I don't know, pointless, kind of? Like, what good would that do us? Yeah, we're all insane. We are all insane, exactly. Thank you, finally. We all have our quirks and our things that, like, come up for us, and I, I think you're exactly right in what you're saying about stifling it being kind of not the greatest way to deal with it, because as I think a lot of people know or or will understand and relate to, um, the more that you try not to be something, not to think something, not to do something, the more you're gonna think about it and probably do it. And I think it's also, it ties into shadow work because when you try to stifle the parts of you that you don't like in general, they come out more prominently. And so this idea of showing loving kindness to all parts of yourself and really being like, yeah, that thought just happened in my, in my awareness. Yeah. I just thought about driving off the road and then you come back to yourself and you're like, do, 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 you just do your thing. And that I think ties pretty nicely into step three, which is simply to remember your loving nature. I believe that humans innately have a loving, nurturing nature and that when people lose it, it's because they have lost something very significant, probably in childhood, usually something emotional, something traumatic. They just didn't exactly get the care that they needed. And that can kind of I guess, hinder their ability to really act from a place of true love, which I've also heard called, instead of unconditional love, I've heard it called unconditional positive regard. It really does give you an action to understand a little bit better than love. Because to be honest, in our modern society, like we have very skewed ideas of love. At least that's how I see it. And people are so confused, you know, you like, people get obsessed with each other and they're like, I'm in love. 
It's like Patrick selling chocolate and he comes to your door and he's like, I love you. No, you don't. You're trying to sell me something. Leave me alone. This idea of love being the act of trying to understand someone, the act of responding to someone's bids. You know, your partner is like, oh, look, there's a bird outside. And you're like, oh, wow, that's a really pretty bird. You just gave someone love. You paid attention to them. You tried to understand them. And if you also hold them in a positive light, if you regard them generously all the time, yeah, that sounds like that's probably true love. And you can still be aware of their flaws, but again, bringing it back to yourself, being aware of all of the aspects of yourself and remembering to be loving because that's how you were born. You were born loving. And if you have trouble with, you know, believing that, well, just think for a second. Do you feel guilt? Do you feel remorse? Have you ever apologized from the bottom of your heart? Because that's how you know that you are naturally good. That is your heart speaking to you. And you really do have a loving nature. Um, So that just going over the three that we talked about that would be number one please don't believe your thoughts there is a child having thoughts inside your body (laughs) number two be here now and just notice what you feel and number three remember your loving nature Mm. isolation can be the difference between sadness and depression So I'll loosely quote my therapist here when I say that every emotion brings with it a call to action. For sadness, we are meant to seek community. This is a time where that's been made more difficult because of the pandemic right now. And a lot of people, I imagine, are just keeping to themselves and hoping it'll pass, like... I don't want to bother anyone. I don't want to lean on my friends too much. Like, everyone's dealing with shit. When it comes to sadness, you have to seek out community. And there are always people who love you enough to hold your pain with you. If you do not seek community, that's when the sadness becomes stronger. And that's when it develops into something that we call depression. Depression is sadness meets isolation. So we're really meant to talk to people when we're sad and we need to do what makes us feel feel more connected and less alone. Love that. Yeah, I can, I've just, all these like little flashbacks from my own life pop into my mind. Um, Luckily, I feel like when I moved here to Philadelphia with Zach at the beginning of the med school journey, um... I, well, I guess not luckily at the time, I felt very, very, very isolated and alone. And I do feel like exactly what you're saying happened. Like, I I didn't necessarily seek community in the ways that I probably should have been. And it turned into depression, I would say, because I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was able to really open up to anyone in an honest way about what I was going through. And so... Now, I said luckily, because now I feel like because of this global pandemic, I've already 
found the tools for myself and I've been able this time around to reach out and build community in ways that are meaningful to me. Um, and I also think about this, this thing that Aubrey Marcus shared once where, or I think he's talked about it a few times actually, but where a lot of loneliness is actually perceived loneliness. So I guess that kind of just goes hand in hand with what you're saying, because just because you feel lonely, that doesn't necessarily mean you are alone. Because just like you said, there are people out there who will hold space for you, who will see and validate your pain and your joy and everything that you are. Like, those people definitely exist, no matter who you are. You could think that you are the weirdest weirdo on the planet, and, like, trust me, there's other people who are on your level who match your energy out there. So I think when we can make that switch from perceiving ourselves as alone to realizing that we're not, that's that's very crucial. And I will also say, just to kind of you know, continue on with the conversation of depression, like, it is not always that easy. It's not, there are such things as, like, chronic depression, and there is such, if you're diagnosed with it, it's not always as easy as just, like, reaching out to someone and having a conversation. But in this conversation and in this context of, you know, feeling isolated because of this very isolating situation, I absolutely agree that really all it takes is to realize we're not alone and and do something about it to take action like you taught us. Those are some really good points. I really appreciate too you bringing the the point of people who do have chronic depression, people who really do struggle on a, an incredibly regular basis and, you know, one phone call is not going to change that necessarily. And it's very hard to seek community because we are all distancing right now. So this is where I'm thinking more about things like being a part of groups, organizations that are meeting on Zoom, whether it's part of your religion or it's uh, you, you like watching Twitch streams and like you like to sit in the chat room and like talk to strangers. That's awesome. There are going to be people who have really good conversations with you and hold space for you. And also, like, if this really is striking a chord with someone, I just want to say I have also been there. And I agree with what Rachel said about it being usually perceived loneliness. Like, you really do, if not in your direct life, there are so many people who you will have the opportunity to connect with in the future. And it's kind of a matter of shifting perspective and really wanting to love yourself and make things better. For me, these tools have helped to quiet my mind at least a little bit in the time that I have been aware of them and using them. Mm-hmm. So I hope that if it does resonate with our listeners and they end up using any of this, then they'll be able to listen more clearly to what's actually true in this very moment. Your thoughts are inherently kind of always in the past or the future. What am I going to do? What am I going to make for lunch? What am I going to when am I going to do this thing A B and C? Like your thoughts are more in the future or in the past than they are ever in the present. 
and that means that you're not living in reality. So by really tapping into your body, you can be in this very moment. And some people, I think, believe that having a quiet mind means that the creativity will get lost. But I strongly disagree with that. I would say when your mind is a pleasant place to be, it's like your little playground, your happy place, and you think of yourself more as the space where thoughts occur, then you identify with the thoughts themselves. You have way more ability to sit with yourself and manifest your craft. And that is my story, and I'm sticking to it. Thanks, Emma. Very eloquently said. Um, Can I share this one last quote that I thought of at the beginning of your introduction of this lesson? Please. It goes, when we are dreaming alone, it's only a dream. When we are dreaming with others, it's the beginning of reality. That is so wholesome and beautiful, and I think a great place to end. Line. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for tuning into this episode and supporting us as we journey through the wild world of podcasting. If you want to find us on social media, our handle is at Mayhem Muses on Instagram and Twitter. We love hearing from our listeners, so feel free to slide into our DMs or email us at mayhemmusespodcast at gmail.com with silly game ideas, which, guys, obviously we need those, (laughs) feedback about the podcast, and or to share a slice of your own creativity. Thank you to Tanner Mitchell for being the musical genius behind our theme song. (laughs) If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe, leave a nice review. By the way, thank you to the reviews that have been left. They've been really lovely. And share it with your friends. We will see you next week on Mayhem Muses. Bye. Bye.